You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. All right, you guys are alive. This is amazing. It's really great that you're here, obviously. Um, If you don't know me, my name is Pastor Dan. I serve as a youth pastor here at Grace Bible Church and I'm privileged to do so. And also, I am excited to share God's word with you today. But before I get into God's word, I thought I'd share a little bit of a youth group update with you guys. We meet on Wednesday nights, but we are excited because in two weeks, we are going to snow camp. Woo! Few of you are excited. Yeah. Sleepless nights, you know, fun every day and snow. It's upstate New York, you know, north of Albany, and so it's, it's really a great time. So we're, you can be praying for us <laughs> as we go. Several leaders are going up, but uh, we are going up to the World Life Bible Institute where they put on snow camp every weekend, and it is a blast, a great time together with students. But it's also, what I love about this place is like there is a lot of life change that takes place here. I've experienced that in, in going there and serving at these camps in my youth and then also going to the Bible Institute. I got to see just a lot of life change happen. And so I'm excited for our students. I'm excited for what we're going to experience up there. But I was thinking about life change and just how God can use any circumstance. Any circumstance in our life, he can use to change us. But really, it is when God's word is applied that it has a lasting life change in our life. And so that's what I'm really excited about this morning and even in the next two weeks going up to snow camp. So let's just bow our heads and pray. Pray for snow camp that's coming up. Oh, by the way, I do have one more ticket. I'm taking 11 students up. I'd love to take 12. So if there's a teen in here that's not going and wants to go, talk to me afterwards. If there's a parent that wants your kid out of the house for a weekend, talk to me afterwards. All right, but let's pray before we get into God's word this morning. God, I want to thank you for your word that we get to dive into it. And I pray, God, that you would bring about a lasting life change when we open your word, that your word would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would guide us, that it would convict us and change us for the better. May we be your servants and may we be honoring and glorifying to you. And I pray this morning, God, that your power would be manifest in my weakness. And God, as your word comes forth, Lord, that you would do and use this word to change our lives. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. So if you haven't been following us, you know that, well, you might not know, but we have been in the armor of God, Ephesians chapter 6. So I invite you to turn there with me. It's page uh, 979 in your pew Bible there. It's right there in front of you. I invite you to open that up. I will have a few of the verses up on the screen as well. But we started this series back in January 2nd. We started this series because we had just got done with the armor of God, sorry, the um, Christmas, and then after that was the Sermon on the Mount. That's what I was going for. The Sermon on the Mount where we saw that following Jesus comes at a cost. We have foes. We have enemies, and they're fighting against us. And so we thought this would be a great time to see what armor we have. And so we went to Ephesians chapter 6, and we've been talking about the unseen spiritual warfare that is all around us. We've gone into five different armors that we can put on, and now we get to finally put on the most popular piece of armor, armor that is a weapon, 
and it is the sword of the Spirit. Shing! I just had to do it. I'm sorry. When uh, our secretary asked what the sermon was going to be called, I was like, shing, shing, shing. And she's like, really? She was so excited. I was like, no, it's, it's the sword of the Spirit. Sorry. But I have to have my sound effects, right? Okay, I'm the youth pastor. Well, I have a story for you is that um, in youth group, I was not allowed to get a sword. There was a lot of students, for whatever reason, when I was in youth group that had swords, that would get swords, and scary how we all survived, I don't know. But last year, when Dana was away at Bible study um, one night a week, I took it upon myself to find a show that is a, a guy show, a manly show. Dana and I watch shows together, not that they're all chick flicks, okay, I'm not trying to paint a bad picture of myself here, but we, I was going to watch a show that maybe just... I would enjoy, and maybe she wouldn't enjoy. So I'm, I'm flipping through, and I found one that I think met that criteria. Okay, it's called Forged in Fire. Any Forged in Fire fans? Carlo, okay. Daniel, that scares me. All right, good. <laughs> but the whole premise behind Forged in Fire, it's like any contestant competition TV show where it's like you have people and they have to make something, and then they have to show off what they made. But in this case, instead of a cake or cupcakes or Legos, it's a sword, all right? There's fire, there's metal, there's tools, there's all oh, sweat and tears, and it's fun. You know, and sorry, Dana definitely did not enjoy this show. So that would, that would be what I watch. And in watching that show, I, I did learn a lot, and at the end, they would do this test right? They would test everyone's weapon. And they would run through these three tests. They would do the sharpness test, okay? They would usually cut like a watermelon or like some rope or something, see how sharp it is. They'd do a strength test where they take that sword and they like beat it on something hard like another sword or a piece of metal or something else and see how it held up if it broke. You know, it's just to kind of like evaluate and test which one. And of course, they had to do a kill test, right? Is it strong enough to accomplish what it was designed for as a weapon. Now, no one got hurt, okay, unless you were a mannequin or a dummy, okay, in this show. But they would test it out, and they would see its effect on that target. And, of course, at the end, if they did successful, it was like, it will kill. Of course it would kill. Yeah, they almost have to say it like a vampire. I don't know why. But today we are going to be seeing how we have been given a very effective sword, a very special sword a spiritual sword, one of which we are going to test to see how sharp it is, to see how strong it is, and to see if it will kill. And what will it kill? So let's get into it. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, it gives us a very specific example of the sword. It says, and take up the helmet of salvation, which we learned about last week, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And here, Paul gives us the example of a Roman sword. Now, to just paint a little bit of a picture of what that looked like, it wasn't a huge sword. It was actually quite short, like a foot and a half to two feet long. That was it. Really short, okay? It's like, why were they so short? Why was it a small sword? Well, it had a very intended purpose. Now, granted, the sword was needlepoint, double-sided blade, very short, very effective, because it was used for the purpose of hand-to-hand -hand combat, okay? Very close proximity. 
to the point where they could have their shield up in front of them. We learned about the shield. It was big. It was three, four feet tall. And they carry it in front of them, and then they have this sword. If you have a big sword, you have to have two hands to wield it, and then you don't have a shield. This was so that you could have your shield up, you could have your sword, have it out in front of you, stab, stab, jab, jab, they die. That was the premise behind it. And with that, the Roman soldiers had to wield this sword with exceptional precision and proficiency if they wanted to, indeed, stay alive. When I think of proficiency in, in swordsmanship, some of you might think of, like, Star Wars, okay, or Lord of the Rings, or um, Gladiator. For whatever reason, my mind went to The Princess Bride, okay? <laughs> That's just where my mind went to, and maybe you can track with me. But there's this one scene in the movie, if you recall, if you haven't seen it, great one, classic. Okay, there's one scene where the dread pirate Roberts is fighting with Inigo Montoya, right? And there's one spot where it seems like the dread pirate Roberts is winning in this sword battle, but Inigo Montoya is smiling. And so dread pirate Roberts says, why are you smiling? Inigo Montoya says, because I, don't know, I know something that you do not. That's my best impersonation, I'm sorry. <laughs> I am not left-handed. He switches swords. The whole time he's been dueling with his left hand. Crazy. Proficiency. Come to find out later, they're both dueling left-handed and they're not left-handed. That's amazing. But, cliffhanger, I'll let you figure out what happens next. <laughs> but again, that is the point, is that the sword was meant to be proficient in the hand of the soldier. It was just not a showpiece. It was just not a pull out and say, look at my sword. I have no idea how to use it. It was something to be effective. Again, I just want to read Ephesians 6.17 and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice it doesn't say the sword is your sword. It's not our sword. It's the sword of the Spirit. So a couple things I want to note about this sword is that this sword is from the Lord. See, we are fighting a spiritual battle, so we don't have anything that we can really bring to the table that will defend ourselves against spiritual attacks. And something interesting about the whole armor of God, right? If we go back to Ephesians 6, 10, and 11, it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And the sword is commissioned into this whole armor of God. On top of that, the sword is the word of God. It says, which is the word of God. The Apostle Peter shares how the word of God came to be because sometimes we start believing things that the world says about this book. That it's just a collected collection of ancient writers and it's man-made. This is what 2 Peter chapter 1 says. Verses 20 through 21 says, says, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from, comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So a little bit of bibliology, which is the teaching of the, what the Bible is, is the Bible was written by over 40 different authors. Yes, human authors, over the course of 1,500 years. But because the authors were inspired, they were carried along by God, the Holy Spirit, then the Bible itself is inspired. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is the Word of God. 
Paul later would say in, in, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. That word breathed, God breathed scripture, has the concept and the idea of inspiration or inspired. When we inspire, we breathe into something to create. And that is the idea here, is that God was the one who forged this sword for us. In 2 Timothy, we see that it was for our good, for our reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, for the full purpose that we would be equipped like the Roman soldier. The Roman soldier, when he entered the army, was not meant to come in with his own sword. He was given all the tools that he needed for the weapons, for the war that was ahead of him. He was given those. And God has supplied us with the entire armor that we need and the weaponry as well. Tony Evans says this. He says, our authority for victory in the spiritual realm is rooted and grounded in God. If we're trying to find victory in the battles that we're facing, in the spiritual warfare that we're facing, in the temptations that we're facing outside of God, we have no authority. We have no victory. Which is why I want to have a one thing for today is this, is that the sword of the Spirit is for our defense and for his mission. See, a lot of times we take this word and myself included, have done this before, but have taken the word of God out of context and tried to use it for my own mission and for my own reasons to back up a position that I want to have. But we need to use the sword of spirit in the right way. It is for our defense, but for his mission and for his goal. And we'll dive a little bit more into that because something that I recognize as we read through scripture is that we are not the masters of demons. That's not the point of this. And instead, we are the ambassadors of the king of kings. That is why we are here and why the sword has been given to us. And so we see that it is a strong sword because it comes from the Lord. But now let's test it out, shall we? Let's see an example of how sharp this sword is. But let's look at the power of the sword. Man, who else to have demonstrate this sword for us than Jesus himself, right? This would be really great. In Matthew chapter 4, if you want to look at yourself today, that would be great. Verses 1 through 11. We find Jesus in the wilderness just after he's been baptized and commissioned for his earthly mission. And after that, he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days and then he was tempted by Satan. I'm only going to read verses 3 and 4 and paraphrase the rest. This is what it says, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, Jesus said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See what Jesus did? Jesus defended himself against Satan, the temptation, by quoting scripture, by pulling out the sword. Just look at these three temptations that he faced. Turn these rocks into bread, Satan said. Satan said, jump and angels will catch you if you jump off this high cliff. And you know what's interesting about that? He's quoting scripture. Satan is quoting scripture. Misquoting scripture, which is what he will do. 
But when you misquote scripture, it is a dull sword. It is not a sharp sword. It is a weak sword. He also says, Satan says, I will give you all these kingdoms if you will bow down and worship me. But each time, Jesus responds with the sword, and he is quoting from different passages in Deuteronomy. And he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And every time he pulls the word of God, he was defended, and Satan was defeated. But we need to recognize something about temptation here. See, there's nothing wrong with wanting food, right? Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with wanting or desiring divine protection. Nothing wrong. Jesus came to rule the nations. He came for the world. But what's wrong about temptation and what Satan will do is he will show us something good, but wants you to go about getting it the wrong way. That's the way Satan works. But Jesus knew the truth. He is the truth. He tested the sword out on Satan's midsection and was successful. Satan couldn't handle the word of God. That's important to recognize. The other thing I want to note about this temptation that Jesus faced is notice how, what he didn't say. Jesus didn't have a discussion or a conversation with Satan or an argument to back up why he believed God's word. He just said, it is written, God says. That was enough. St. Augustine was noted for saying this. He says, the truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. Let it loose. It will defend itself. So many times I think we try and defend why we believe in God's word and with other reasoning. And we just need to know that it is the absolute authority. And we need to believe that and own that. If we doubt the sword, then we're going to lose the battle. See, Jesus showed us the power of the sword of the spirit. God's word against Satan. And you might be like, okay, Pastor Dan, that was Jesus, now me, okay? And I understand that, because if we're all honest, all of us have lost many of these battles, these spiritual warfare battles, given in to different temptations, harbored bitterness, practiced selfishness, pursued um, unhealthy pleasures, a whole gamut, okay? We've fallen in many different areas. And we may have fallen in the past, but this sword of the Spirit is still offered to us to pick up, to learn, and to wield. Satan loved this if we never picked up God's word and intended to use it the way that God intended us to use it, for our defense and for his mission. I found an interesting quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said this, The deceit, the lie of the devil, consists of this, that he wishes to make man believe he can live without God's word. Now you take that quote and understand this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed by the Nazi party. Of sheer evidence of what happens when a, a nation, when people decide that they can live without God's word. Keep that in mind. So how do we fight back? Let's look how to practice the sword. I'm going to be very, very practical today. I'm going to give you guys some ideas on how we can indeed practice wielding this sword. 
And I also want to share with you something. I've learned something this week. Oh, amazing. I mean, I, I think I knew this of, about God's word, but there's, this is the Holy Spirit working through his word. It brings out new truths that I didn't know. And I want to share them with you. I'm excited to share with you. But there are different words for the word of God. There are different words in Greek for the word of God. You're like, okay, Dan, what's that mean? I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm not either. Okay, but we have different words, for example, for the word love, right? We're approaching Valentine's Day tomorrow, right? It is tomorrow. Okay, good. Just making sure you were on track with Valentine's Day. Good. It's for your good. Um, we have different words for the word love, right? Because personally, I love pizza, okay? I, I pretty much love to taste all kinds of pizzas. I have my favorites, but man, give me a pizza and then give me other food. I'm going to the pizza almost every time. To the point where my sister got celiac disease, and I was like, do I have celiacs? And I had to go get tested. I was scared to death that I wouldn't be able to have pizza. Now, I know they make pizza on different breads that don't have gluten in it, right? But I've tried them before. You're not that great. It's just not the same, OK? I don't have celiacs, thank goodness. I'm sorry if you do. Forgive me. Um, I'm sorry, I can't relate. I really can't. But anyway, I love pizza. I also love my wife, right? There's a very big difference between those two loves. One I eat, one I would give my life for. And if you're confused which one is which, <laughs> that's your problem. All right. But there are different words for the word of God. The first one I want to bring up is graphe. Graphe, like write, graphite, okay? It is the written word of God, the actual book itself. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. That is the word there, graphe, all of this, breathed out by God. Now, if we took what Paul is saying by taking the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and we said, graphe, we're literally carrying around this book and just, like, this is going to protect us from spiritual warfare. If we never open it, if we never discuss the other words about this book, if we just hold this, this is not a lucky charm. It's not a rabbit's foot. It does not protect us. The demons are not afraid of this book. If it is never opened, if it is never applied, if it is never said, just saying. It is a very special book. There is a lot. It is in his inspired word, but we need to believe it. And that is the action, the practice that we need to take with this word, is that we need to believe in his word. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith, or believing, comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. It's through opening this book and reading its words that God has breathed for us, that we see that we have a problem. We have sin in our life, and we need a Savior. And we see that in Jesus Christ, God himself, coming and dying and paying the penalty for our sins. Dying and being laid in the grave for three days and then rising again, showing us that his promise is true. That anyone, look what it says in Romans 10, 9, it says, because if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Believe in his word. 
This is the first step in being able to use that sword effectively is to believe in his word. The second step is this. The second word I'd like to bring up is logos. And this has the practice of being changed by the word of God. This is the message. So graphe is the actual book itself. Message is the content within, the message of God's word, what it means. When we read the Bible ourselves and go to Bible studies and small groups or study the Bible on on our own, we are experiencing and interacting with the logos of God's word. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God, that is the logos, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It is living and active, as opposed to being dead and outdated, which is what the world would love to continue to say about our, the word of God. Which it, I would also like to just, again, invite you to come out to Culture Shock on Wednesdays. Because if you want to see the sharpness of the Word of God in action, take it to the world's problems. See what the Word of God says about these issues that we are dealing with now. And I think that you will see it is extremely sharp. It is extremely sharp, extremely effective, and has many answers for us. But Satan would love for us not to see that it is sharp. He would love to see us keep it in its sheath on a shelf and never touch it. When the message of the Bible, Logos, is applied to our own lives, we experience, I think, two really profound changes in our life. The first experience is that it is like surgery, spiritual surgery that happens. This Hebrews 4.12 passage is actually talking about the word of God in our hearts, how it changes us, how it cuts into us and removes the cancers that are killing us, the spiritual cancers, that is. But it also provides a stockpile of weaponry for us to use in our spiritual warfare. And that's all I can really have time to do that ourselves uh, this morning. But I would like to give us a very practical application for this, and is this. Read God's word. Read God's word and study God's word. And how do we study? We always get scared whenever we come into God's word. How do I read it? How do I study it? What do I do? This is something I share with our teenagers, okay? It's called OIA. I like to call it OIA, okay? Can you say that with me? OIA. A few of you. Got it. I appreciate the interaction. OIA, okay. All of you have practiced OIA today. Every single one of you, whether you believe it or not. Observations. We see them every day. What do you see? What is, in this case, let me give you an example. All of you, I'm assuming, drove here. I assume. I don't think anyone walked. But in doing this so, you probably encountered a stoplight. What happens, pray tell, if you see a red light emanating from that stoplight? You stop. You just did Oya all in like less than a second. You had an observation. There's a red light. Interpretation. What does that mean? I need to stop. Application. I'm putting my foot on the brake. Otherwise, what happens? Bad things happen, right? If you go through red lights, young people who are learning to drive, bad things happen. All right. We all practice Oya. And when we read through God's word and study it, I encourage our students to 
Make a plan. Read a, a short portion of scripture. Make an observation. Have an interpretation. What does this mean? Write that out on a little journal and then write an application for that day. Pretty simple. And it doesn't have to be rocket science. Oh yeah, it's easy enough. We can all take part in it. But the truth of the matter is, is like the best Bible study method out there is the one that you use. Okay? There are many ways to read the Word of God, to study the Word of God, but the best one out there is the one you use. Okay? So, let's keep moving along to the last word I'd like to bring up about the Word of God. And this one has the practice of actually swinging the Word. Utterance, the spoken Word, what has been declared. And this is the ability to declare a specific scripture concerning your situation or the spiritual warfare that you are facing. This is the application of graphe and logos in our lives. Tony Evans says this, and this, this hurts, just warning you. Tony Evans says this in his book, Victory in the Spiritual Warfare. He says, the reason so many Christians are living defeated lives is that they haven't graduated from graphe to logos to rhema. Other Christians get stuck in what he calls Logos land. They attend sermons, take notes, attend Bible studies, but haven't used what they've learned in spiritual warfare against the enemy. And I know that hurts sometimes for us. But the Logos is the internal sword that cultivates and changes us. But Rhema is the offensive sword that Paul is talking about here in Ephesians chapter 6. He's saying we need to take it out and we need to speak it. We need to take it out and we need to apply it to our situation that we are dealing with. It's not enough just to be a book. and It needs to be more than that. It's not enough just to attend the sermons and the studies and and read it for ourselves. We need to take it out and own it and say it like Jesus did with with Satan. And There's a couple practical ways that you can do this. I'm going to go through them quickly. The first one is meditate. Now, I'm not talking about sitting in a corner in a contorted position and making weird noises. Meditation is having God's word in front of us and thinking about it. Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Catch this. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates, thinks about, day and night. I like to meditate on fishing. Just being honest with you, I like to think about it. I like to think about new places to go fishing. I like to think about new lures to try. I like to think about the mystery of the catch. But in the same way, God wants us to meditate, and he knows what's best for us on his word and on him. What is his mission? How God is working in our world? What we read just this morning in our study in God's word, and think about it throughout the day. That is how we take God's sword, the Holy Spirit of his word, and we keep it in our hand and we're ready and we're prepared. The other one is memorize God's word. And in Psalms 119.11 it says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. And a lot of us struggle with this concept of memorization, and I'm there with you. But I have no excuse because I grew up in a home where my dad was a full-time college student. He was studying to be a pastor when I was a teenager. Full-time college student, on top of that, worked a full-time job outside of that and had a full-time family. 
And yet still at the same time, I can still remember going into his office and hanging out with my dad for periods of time of the day and seeing on his desk these cards and hundreds of them. And I come to find out what these were, and he would teach me what these were. These were verses that he was memorizing. Not because he had to because of school, but because he knew he needed it. He knew he wasn't an elegant, eloquent speaker, and so he needed God's word to constantly be filling his heart and his mind to be able to be spoken. And so with that, he shared with me his method. I want to share with you. It's easy. It's a three-by-five card. You write the verse you would like to memorize, and on the back, you keep track of this. The first day, you read it 25 times. That's it. Read it 25 times, put it down. Next day, you read it 20 times. Check, put it down. Next day, 15 times. The next day, 10. Thank you. All right. And until you get to seven days where there's no more time to read, you will have it memorized. Now, that's not a 100% plan, okay? I understand all of us have different learning curves and stuff like that. But I'm not a smart guy. I'm not. And this works for me, okay? There's a lot of other memorization plans out there. But again, the best memorization plan out there, it's the one you use. So that's the theme. Because the point is, is that when we say God's word, when we speak it, when we say, yeah, 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 but God says this, that's when the sword comes out of the sheath. That's when we're able to defend ourselves against our foes, our temptations, and the attacks of the enemy. Because this is the goal, church. Romans 8.37. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors. We're not just victors. We are super victors. Through him who loved us. When Paul calls us to do hand-to-hand combat, he's telling us to take up the sword of the Spirit and wage this war, which is very personal. It's in our mind. It's against our will, against our emotions and the body itself. But we are more than conquerors. See, most of us would prefer a spiritual warfare where we can sit on our couch and we can launch the international ballistic missile of the faith, of the Spirit, right? We wish we could just do that. That would solve a lot more problems. I wouldn't have to do all these things. But the quick fix isn't the way spiritual warfare takes place. It is a battlefield where we are in hand-to-hand combat with our temptations. But with that, we have been given the opportunity to defeat them, to live a fruitful and holy life, and embrace the victory that Christ has for us. Now, I want to bring up this truth as I'm wrapping up, is that we are going to be fed lies almost immediately as after leaving this, about this message. And they might sound something like this. You can't understand God's word. You don't have the time. It's just, you're going to fail, so why bother? But we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So let us take up that sword that defense that we have been given, and let's use it. Let's practice it. Start small and watch what it does. And I want to leave you with these three action steps. We talked a lot lot of application, and these are kind of interwoven in here. But first one is we need to remember whose sword it is. This is the sword of the Lord. So we need to ask God, we need to ask the Holy Spirit before we read God's word and sit down and do a devotion. 
ask the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to come and help us understand it and apply it so that we may have our hearts changed by his word. The second thing we need to do is we need to take up the sword. We need to practice the whole gamut, to hear it, to read it, to study it, to memorize it, to meditate on it, and to speak it. And if you need to, pick one of these and work on them this week. And the last thing we need to do is we need to learn from others and share with others too. See, the Christian life, much like the Roman soldier, was never meant to be done alone. These soldiers would come and rally together and would almost interlock their shields together, wearing the full armor that they had been given, holding their sword. And as a team walking forward with their shields would have the sword out, stab, stab, jab, jab, enemy falls down. Impenetrable and extremely effective. We are not meant to do this spiritual warfare alone. A couple weeks ago, I had to ask one of the elders to come and speak with me because I was just overwhelmed. This is where I was. I was just overwhelmed with life and what I was experiencing and no doubt spiritual warfare. And it was so great to have him come alongside of me and share the sword and share the shield and be able to do life with me. We all need people to come into our lives and speak truth to us and encourage us for our defense and for his mission. I'd like to invite the praise team forward as we wrap up with one more song, and I would like to pray for you. That as we seek to pick up this sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and we seek to wield it, like forged in fire like that TV show, let us be confident in what it is capable of. That it is sharp. That it is strong. And that it is deadly when used effectively against the spiritual forces that we face. So let me close in prayer for you. God, I'm so thankful again to be a part of this church, to be a part of your family. But also, God, I'm thankful for your word, which is a very effective weapon for us to use in defense against the spiritual attacks, against the temptations, against Satan, against his henchmen. And God, I pray for our church that as we've been challenged, I pray that it will be an encouragement for them not a discouragement. I pray that we would all see that our potential to take up the sword of the Spirit and use it in an effective way to further your kingdom and defend ourselves against the attacks of the enemy. I pray you bless us. I pray you keep us. I pray you hold us in your mighty hand. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.